The scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 26. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, North Cross Church. It's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, as Matt mentioned earlier, uh, my name is Andrew Goizueta. I'm the RUF guy uh, at Davidson and uh, one of this church's uh, missionaries. So I just want to thank you all for your faithful prayers and support for me and my family and for our work at Davidson. Um, it's also a joy to uh, work alongside Mary Neal Lucas, our intern, who started this year. I'm really glad to have her on staff as well. Uh, we are going to kind of parachute into chapter two of the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, before I pray for us, I just have a few things to say about this book and our passage this morning. Ecclesiastes, it, it, it's one of the most polarizing books of the Bible. Uh, some love it. That was me in my early 20s, fresh out of college. I remember someone asking me, what's your favorite book? And I hadn't thought about it, but I was like, uh, Ecclesiastes. Um, and at the time, at least, I was in good company. Uh, Herman Melville, the famous author of Moby Dick, he actually calls Ecclesiastes the truest of all books. So some people really love this book. Other folks, uh, they don't see it quite as positively. In fact, there's a, a, a world-renowned Old Testament scholar from the 19th century, Franz Delitzsch, this German Lutheran, Lutheran scholar, who actually considers this book the low point of the Old Testament, and therefore the low point of the Bible. So you can see how it's kind of this polarizing book. And so how should we approach such a controversial book of the Bible? And I, the best answer I've come across is from the guys that have put together the Bible Project. Some of you all maybe are familiar with this. Wonderful free resource online. But uh, they, they basically say the book of Ecclesiastes is like this notebook or this journal uh, that, that has all the collected sayings of this wise critic, this sort of uh, existential philosopher who's kind of gone about the business of surveying all of life, trying to find meaning within it. And so this book is his collected uh, wisdom and insight. And uh, the main figure, the speaker, is this guy, the preacher or the teacher, 
It's the Hebrew word Kohelet, which is where we get the, the, the title of the book, Ecclesiastes. That's simply the Greek translation for the teacher. Um, and so this morning, we're going to consider the teacher's point of view when it comes to our work. Actually, maybe more accurately, his points of view for when it comes to our work. So if you've ever wondered, well, what's the point of work? Or, or how does my faith impact or influence my day job? Well, this, this book and, and this chapter of this book is for you and is for us this morning. But before we dive in, uh, let me pray for us and our time together in God's word. Father in heaven, you have promised that your word will never return to you empty, but that it would accomplish the purposes for which you've sent it. And so I pray that you would do just that this morning for each and every one of us in this room and following online. Uh, Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us? Would you speak to our hearts and minds and wills this morning, and would you transform us more and more into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus, by the power of your word. And Father, even as we pray for ourselves in the moments ahead, we also pray over the life of the body, this church. I do lift up these officer nominations and pray that you would be glorified in and through them, that you would be preparing men for service in your church. Lord, I pray for the current leadership of, of North Cross, for the elders and the deacons, the women shepherds, uh, the staff here, Lord, would you protect them, protect them from the enemy? Would you strengthen them? Would you set their eyes and minds and hearts on Jesus? And Father, we continue to lift up uh, your friend and servant, Clyde, uh, as he recovers from surgery. Lord, would you give him strength? And would you comfort he and his wife, Valerie? Would you strengthen both of them and uphold them? protect them. And finally, Father, we pray as your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, before there was Spotify, before there were CDs, even before cassettes, there were vinyl records. And for those of you who are not familiar with vinyl records, maybe you're under the age of 20, there were these large black discs made of plastic, and you'd have, you know, music etched into them so that when you put it on the record player, you'd put the needle on the record, the player would spin the record, and you'd out would come music, right? And one of the cool things about vinyl records is that um, you could put music on both sides. And so usually the main album was on the A side, right? Uh, but then a lot of times you would flip the record over and you could hear more music on the B side, the bonus tracks, the deep cuts, if you will. And so the way you could tell if someone truly was a fan of a certain musical artist was if they knew and loved not just the A-side uh, tracks, but the B-side tracks as well. Well, in our passage this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, the teacher considers work from two different vantage points. 
from two perspectives, an A side and a B side, if you will. In the first uh, couple of verses, 18 through 23, we see the teacher, uh, he actually starts with the B side first. And uh, he considers work on this horizontal plane. He takes this view of work without giving too much thought or regard to God, but simply, how does work affect me and how does it affect the people around me? The horizontal view. But then in the second part of our passage, in verses 24 through 26, he flips the record over and he goes back to the A side and he considers work vertically. That is to say, he considers work in relationship to God. And so as we read and study this passage together, I want you to notice two things. First of all, that there is this clear tension between the two sides. It's impossible to miss. And so instead of trying to sweep it under the rug, let's just name it and let's just wrestle with it. And then the second thing I want you to see is that the record was made by one artist. Both sides of this record come from the same artist. So that's what we're going we're gonna to see uh, today. Um, and the kind of the two points that I'm using for my outline is first we're going to consider the horizontal view of work in verses 18 through 23, and then we're going to flip the record over and consider the, the vertical view of work in 24 through 26. So let's start with that, that horizontal view of work starting in verse 18. Um, and actually, I want to draw our attention to the question that the teacher asks in verse 22. This is kind of the question when it comes to work. In verse 22, he says, What has a man with all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? And this is the, the so what question when it comes to work. He's asking, look, what difference does all this hard work really truly make? What do we have to gain from our work? And it's such an important question that the teacher actually returns to it again and again. This is not the first time he's asked the question in the book, and it's not the last time that he's going to ask this question. This is on his mind as he's surveying all of life and trying to find meaning, at, make meaning out of it. What do we gain from all this work? And in verse 23, the next verse, he, he answers his own question in the negative. He says, look, for all of man's days are full of sorrow, his works of vexation, even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. In other words, there's nothing to gain from all this toil, all this hard work. It's good for nothing except for grief, for sorrow, vexation, restlessness. In the end, it's all vanity, which is this word that in the Hebrew is, is like a mist, a vapor. It's here one second and it's gone the next. Now, this might sound like a pretty bleak view of our work, and it is. Uh, but take a second and really be honest with yourself. Have you ever been where he's been? Have you ever felt about your work as the teacher has felt? That it's just full of sorrow, vexation, it's all vain, empty. Maybe you're a young parent and you are utterly exhausted from sleepless nights. And if you have to change the crib sheets one more time because of a blowout, you might just break down in tears. Your heart's full of sorrow. 
Maybe you're an accountant. And right around this time of year, you start noticing the, the tension in your jaw sort of build up as we enter in a tax season. And this is, this is feast or famine. This is go time. You're either going to make it or not. And so you're anxious. Or maybe you're in the service industry. Maybe you're in medicine or uh, education or counseling. And uh, you're just like, man, what is it with people and all their problems? They just keep getting sick. Or uh, they won't do their homework. Or they just keep coming to me again and again and again with their problems. And you, and you start to wonder, man, am I, am I experiencing com- compassion fatigue? How much longer am I going to have to put up with this? I think we've all felt what the teacher is describing. We've all felt what he feels at one point or another when it comes to work. That work can just be brutal. And the question that he's asking and wrestling with is why? Why is it like that? And the answer, at least again according to this book of the Bible, is it feels so brutal because we only ever look at the horizontal. We only consider work from this ground-up vantage point what the teacher calls a view from under the sun. Maybe you notice that he repeated that phrase several times in verses 18 through 23. That's his shorthand for saying, look, this is, this is kind of, this is the opposite of a bird's eye view on work. This is like an ant's eye view, a view from below, this horizontal view. And uh, he gives us... Uh, One example, there's lots of examples for how we do this, how we view work only from the horizontal. I want us to consider three this morning. Uh, And then the first one, he gives us in verses 18 through 21. There's this particular example that he gives from our passage. The teacher, he realizes, look, he can work really, really hard. He can amass a lot of wealth. He can kind of build a legacy, if you will only to hand it over to someone who could just waste it all away. Did you catch that? He says, there's, there's no guarantee that, that, that my legacy will go on. In verse 19, he says, who knows whether my heir, he's talking about his descendants, his heir, who knows whether he'll be, a, he'll be wise or a fool, yet he's going to be master over all for which I toiled. Right? There's no guarantee that our children might just blow all of our hard-earned savings once we're gone. And so that drives him to despair. That drives him to say things like, I hated all my toil under the sun. That's really strong language. He's encountering the brutality of work under the sun from this horizontal view. Uh, And so maybe, especially for those of us who have worked for a long time and have built up considerable wealth, maybe this is a real concern of yours. Maybe you've actually thought along the same lines. Uh, For other of us, maybe we haven't thought this way. But we do take a horizontal view to work in other ways. Consider another example from later in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 4. Again, considering work from the horizontal, the the teacher goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 4, He said, I saw all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is a vanity and a striving after wind. Again, when we only consider work compared to one another, 
uh, we're going to try to one-up each other or keep up with each other, right? This is why we concern ourselves with, like, why did our coworker get the year-end bonus, but we didn't? What do I got to do to get that? Or, we, or things like square footage matter to us. Well, can you believe, like, the Joneses, their new house? I wonder if I can uh, afford an addition, or maybe we can upgrade and size up, right? Or, you know, so-and-so just got a brand new Tesla. It's pretty cool. How can I get my hands on a Lucid and outdo them, right? All of this is just horizontal level view of work compared to one another. How can I one-up my neighbor? And then another example, which is just written all over Scripture and written all over our hearts, is uh, when we use our work to try to justify ourselves, to tell ourselves that we really do matter, or that we've arrived, or that we're going to be okay. Uh, I dated myself earlier with the, with the vinyl records illustration. I'm going to date myself again now. Um, but in the 1981 Chariots movie, Chariots of Fire, uh, th- this, this best picture, Academ- Academy Award-winning film, uh, it depicts the, the real-life 1924 Olympics. And it focuses in on these, these two runners, uh, Eric Liddell from Scotland and Harold Abrahams from the UK, from, from, from England. And um, right before uh, one of the events, the 100-meter dash, there's this scene that shows Harold Abrams getting ready for it. He's, he's being worked on by his trainer, and he's talking to one of his close friends. And he's anticipating going out and racing, right? And this is what Harold Abrams has to say to his friend. He says, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Here's a man that feels uh, compelled to justify his whole existence, his whole life, based on his work, his performance out there on the track. And how many of us feel that same temptation to justify ourselves by our work? I mean, think about it. This is one of our go-tos when we meet someone new, right? It's how we introduce ourselves. It's how we ask, like, you know, hey, what what do you do? Who are you? It's what makes um, getting let go feel like such a huge, devastating blow. It's, it's who we are, right? It's how we justify ourselves. And so here's what the teacher of Ecclesiastes, here's what he wants us to see. If your work, if my work, starts to feel brutal, then we might just have this strictly horizontal view of it. We might have the blinders on. We might only be viewing it from below, from this perspective of under the sun. And if, if the teacher stopped there, if he just pointed out the problem but didn't move us towards a solution, I mean, it's pretty devastating. Like, we'd be left as he was in despair with nowhere to go. But thankfully, he does move on to the solution. He flips the record over. And he, he moves from a horizontal view of work to a vertical view, from a view, a view from above. So let's turn our attention with him to this vertical view of work, 
which we see in 20 cha- uh, verses 24 through 26. And as we look over these verses, I want to point out, I want you to notice that that phrase, under the sun, has gone away. It doesn't show up in these verses anymore because the perspective has changed, right? So look at, look at verse, look, I'm going to start with verses 24 and 25. The, the teacher says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Let me pause right there for a second. Notice how, like, this is a hard shift. We went from hating toil to now he's saying there's nothing better than to find enjoyment in all our toil. So what's going on? Well, again, notice the perspective changing. In verse 26, sorry, in verse 20, the end of verse 24, he recognizes that our work comes from the hand of God. And then he goes on to ask, um, look, apart from God, who can um, enjoy anything? Who can eat? Who can have enjoyment? And, and the, the implied answer is no one. No one can Im- enjoy their work apart from God. We find it in him. We find our enjoyment in God. When we recognize that our food, the fruit of our labors, is from him. It's a gift. This is, I think, why Jesus can say in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, he can look out over a whole crowd of people and say, look, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, about what you're going to put on, about your clothing. Consider the birds, right? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Consider the lilies. God has clothed them, right? And garments even finer than Solomon, right? You are so much more valuable than the birds and then the lilies. God's going to take care of you. And then Jesus goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. God is saying, look, take care of my business. I'm going to take care of your business. You don't need to worry about it. And I think the, the writer, the teacher in Ecclesiastes would agree We can enjoy our work because it is a gift from God. God is going to take care of us and provide for us. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need to compare ourselves to others because God has got us in his hands. This is the vertical view of work. This is is a view from above of our work. Work is a gift of God. And let's just tease this out. If, If work is a gift from God, that means at least three things. One, it means that our work is inherently good because God is good and work comes from him. Second, we need to remember that work, it's not our idea, it's his idea. It comes from him. We work because God worked and we're made in his image. And then third and finally, if, if work is from God, if he invented it, it also means that he's given thought to it. God is mindful of our work. God sees our work. Our work matters to him. And then in verse 26, um, the teacher kind of leaves us with a bit of a hard truth. He says, look, uh, if God exists, 
then we need to honor him. We need to acknowledge him. We need to please him. The, the actual words there translated we need to please God is we need to, we need to have kind of this right standing before him. We need to have this kind of posture of, of reverence and acknowledgement. It's like, um, you know, if you were to be invited by the president of the United States, you know, to meet him, you know, regardless of your politics, right, um, you're not going to just, you know, show up in jeans and sweats or, or sweats and, you know, athleisure wear and just kind of hunch over and say, hey, Joe, good to meet you, right? Like, you're going to dress up. You're going to stand to, you know, stand to attention. You're going to uh, maybe extend your hand. Uh, you're probably going to be nervous, right, because you're in the presence of the president, right? Or same with a, a, any sort of dignitary or king, right? This is the king of heaven, right? The teacher here is saying we need, to, we need to show him the respect that he deserves. We need to acknowledge him in all things, especially in our work. And he goes on to say, again, this is the hard truth. If we don't, if we don't give any regard to the Lord, then what we can expect is all the, the fruit of our labors is going to end up going to someone else who does honor him and acknowledge him. None of us can take it with us. We can't hold on to it. So someone's going to end up with it. In the end, these verses show us that God gives meaning to our work. God gives meaning to our work. In fact, he's the only one who can give meaning to our work. Remember the question that we started with in verse 22? The teacher asks, what, what can we gain from all the toil, right? At that point, in the horizontal view, his answer was nothing. There's nothing to gain. It's all vanity, right? But after the teacher's perspective changes, after he goes from a horizontal to a vertical view of work, he actually returns to that question, that same question, what do we gain from work? It's actually printed in the front of your bulletins, um, and I want to draw your attention to it. Because in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, just a few verses after our passage, in verse 9, we've got that question again. What gain has the worker from his toil? But listen to his response now. He says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And then verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. From the horizontal view alone, work is brutal. But from the vertical view, work is beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And that includes our work. And as those who bear God's image, he calls us to do the same. He calls us to make everything beautiful as well, to join in that work. Well, how can we do this, right? How can we go about making everything beautiful? And the answer is, well, it's the, it's the oldest answer in the book. It's the Sunday school answer, right? It's through Jesus. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. 
See, the Bible teaches that Jesus is more than just our example. He's also our substitute. As Emmanuel, as God with us, Jesus, he experienced the brutality of work under the sun. He rode that struggle bus. He knows what it's like to labor in this world, in this life. And he's experienced that brutality to a degree that none of us ever have or ever will. So like, all of us are like Harold Abrams before his race, trying to to justify ourselves, feeling isolated, right? And, And feeling like it's all on us, tempted to justify ourselves through our work. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days to justify himself through his work. Satan came to him and said, you're the son of God? Prove it. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus pushed back against that temptation to to prove himself, to justify himself, and, and did not give in to the devil's temptation. Jesus experienced the brutality of work, but he also experienced the beauty of it too in a way that we can only dream of. Jesus lived every second of every day before his heavenly Father's face in direct communion with him. He didn't have to prove himself because he knew that he always had his Father's smile. And he always saw his work as a gift from God. He said, my, my work, my, or he said, my food, excuse me, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So in Jesus, we see the horizontal and the vertical collide. They meet in him, in the God-man, in Jesus, who's both our older brother and our savior. He went before us and experienced the the brutality and the beauty of our work. He also lived, died, and rose again to not only redeem us, but to redeem our work. So where does this leave us, and and what do we do with all this? I want to close with three very real-life, practical applications for, for everything that we've just been considering. Because Jesus redeems us and redeems our work, we need to consider these three things. First, we need to view faith and work as friends, not enemies. We need to view faith and work as friends, not enemies. I mean, if we think about our lives, the only thing we'll end up doing more than work is sleep. That's a huge portion of our lives. Between a quarter and a third of our lives, we spend working, right? And if we never consider God in that work, that is so much of our lives that we're living as practical agnostics or atheists, right? We need to view faith and work as friends, my, my old RUF campus minister, David Speakman, he used to say this uh, at RUF. He used to say, you don't have to check your faith at the door of RUF, but neither do you have to check your brain at the door of the classroom. We are integrated people. Faith, work, faith, knowledge, all of it operating together. We need to see our faith and work as friends, not enemies. So that's the one first practical application. Second, Second thing we need to do is we need to pray over our work. 
So like before we go into the office, while we're at the desk working away, maybe as we're driving home, we need to pray over our work. Because in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. And unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We need to pray for God to bless our work. And so one thing I would want you to consider, maybe doing this this week, write out the words of Psalm 90, verse 17 on a post-it note. And then stick it somewhere you can see while you're working. Maybe it's on a laptop. Maybe it's on a desk. Maybe it's on a steering wheel. I don't. Well, maybe not on the steering wheel. Don't <laughs> don't want you to get distracted there. But um, the words of Psalm 90, verse 17 says say, say this. This is a, a a prayer from Moses. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So view faith and work as friends, pray over your work, and then finally, see your work as, an, as God's invitation to join with him in making everything beautiful. I'll end with this. Elsie uh, DeWolf uh, was a uh, born and bred New Yorker, uh, which is, I'm also a born and bred New Yorker, so uh, go New York. Um, but she lived in... Uh, the, around the t- turn of the 20th century, so late 1800s, early 1900s, and she is widely regarded as America's first interior designer. Some people say that the whole field of interior design wouldn't exist apart from Elsie DeWolf. So no Crate and Barrel, right? No Magnolia Farms without Elsie DeWolf. And if you were to go online and Google Elsie DeWolf quote, this quote pops up first. This is, this is what she's most famous for, the quote that she's most well-known for. Elsie DeWolf, the, the founder of Interior Design, said this. She said, I will make everything around me beautiful. That will be my life. This is what God does. This is what God's in the business of. God's in the business of making everything around him Beautiful including us, including our work. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, God has given you his spirit. He's put his spirit inside of you to equip you and to empower you for that same work of making everything around you beautiful. Whether that's medicine or finance, whether that's child-rearing, education, therapy. God has given you his spirit to make everything around you beautiful. That is the point of our work. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you want your work to be beautiful more than brutal, the best way to do that is to open up your hands and to receive your work as a gift from God, to acknowledge him in your work. Instead of trying to cling it and wring every last bit of life out of it, open up your hands. Receive it from him. And so, would you consider that your invitation this morning to do just that? Because in Jesus Christ, your labor is not in vain. Would you pray with me?
Father in heaven, thank you for these words of truth, these words of beauty. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us uh, through the words of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2, but also speak to us through your spirit, applying your word to our hearts, our minds, and, and shaping us and molding us. Help us to acknowledge you in everything we do, even and especially our work. And yes, Lord, with, with the prophet Moses, we pray that you would establish the work of our hands through Christ our Savior. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.